Joe Biden's poll numbers swirl the drain. The U.S. Surgeon General warns of a mental health crisis among young Americans. And we talk about the true causes of our civilizational malaise. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, there's one substance throughout human history that has been known to always hold value. That substance, of course, is gold. There's a reason why Humphrey Bogart was searching for it in Treasure of the Sierra Madre as opposed to, you know, U.S. government bonds. And this is one of the reasons why you should be looking to diversify at least a little bit into precious metals today. Every day, the left is making another money grab. Whether they're looking at your accounts or taxing your unrealized gains, there's no shortage to their creativity when it comes to stealing your wealth to fund their terrible agenda. I've said it before, I'll say it again. You're making a mistake if you've not diversified at least a little bit into precious metals. You can hold gold in a tax-sheltered account or hold gold in a safe at your very own home. I buy mine from Birch Gold. It's the only company I trust and recommend. And when you buy gold from Birch Gold by December 23rd, they will send you free gold for every 10 grand you purchase. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. Text Ben to 474747 to claim eligibility for their free gold with purchase offer by December 23rd. You know, one thing that has never been worth zero. No, not Lehman Brothers, not U.S. government bonds. Gold. Text Ben to 474747. Protect your savings today. Go check them out right now by texting Ben to 474747. Okay, so uh, Joe Biden's approval ratings are just absolutely in the toilet. There's a new poll out from INI and TIPP. And it shows that Joe Biden is swirling the drain. The poll asked, who do you want to see run for president on the Democratic ticket in 2024? Joe Biden was named by 22% of those asked. Uh 12% said Vice President Kamala Harris. None of the rest of the Democrats rose above single digits. The much beloved Pete Buttigieg garnered 4%. AOC, Elizabeth Warren, Massachusetts Representative Joe Kennedy for some reason, and Stacey Abrams each attracted 3% support. Meanwhile, 6% of all those who answered preferred someone other than those on the list. 31% said they were unsure. And the numbers suck. Only 37% of Democrats say they are enthused about Joe Biden holding the top spot. And only 16% say they want Kamala Harris. And no one even gets more than low single-digit support after that. The numbers for Joe Biden continue to decline. There's another poll out today and it shows voters pessimistic about the economy. Biden's leadership is according to a new Wall Street Journal poll. The survey, according to the Wall Street Journal, reveals a set of danger signs for the Democratic Party as it prepares to defend narrow majorities in the House and Senate. Voters, by a large margin, see economic and fiscal issues, including inflation, as top priorities for Washington, and they view the GOP as better able to handle them. Joe Biden's overall approval rating right now is at 41%. His disapproval is at 57%. What's much worse for Joe Biden, the strongly approve of Joe Biden number is 19%. The strongly disapprove of Joe Biden number is 46%. Woo. So you got 22% of the American public saying they somewhat approve of Joe Biden and 10% saying they somewhat disapprove. But people hate him much more than they love him, for sure. More, vo- more voters apparently say they would back a Republican than a Democrat for Congress, 44% to 41% if the election were held today. That is within the polls' margin of error. But again, most of these polls tend to underestimate Republican support and Republican turnout. So th- th- these numbers are really, really bad for the Democrats right now. And as far as whether the country is on the right track or in the wrong tr- on the wrong track, according to that Wall Street Journal poll, 63% of Americans say the country is on the wrong track. Only 27% say the country is on the right track. 
Some 61% of Americans say the economy is headed in the wrong direction. Some 46% of Americans expect the economy to get worse next year compared with 30% who expect it to get better. 29% margin in favor of the proposition that inflation is going to get worse rather than better. People have really bad expectations with regard to crime. By a 33-point margin, people think the crime is going to get worse, not better. 26% more Americans think that the border is going to get worse, not better. The nation's political divide, 50-point margin between people who say it's going to get worse and people who say it's going to get better. On the issues, the GOP has an advantage on the economy, inflation, and securing the border. Democrats have an advantage on getting the pandemic under control. But again, those numbers are not particularly stellar. On improving education, it's fairly evenly split. On making healthcare affordable, Democrats have an advantage. But the issues Americans care most about, rebuilding the economy and getting inflation under control, Republicans have massive advantages. So Democrats have a real problem on their hands. But the, the bigger issue here is that Americans just seem consumed with the idea that the future is going to suck. And, and I think one of the reasons that they feel consumed with the idea the future is going to suck is because we as a country seem to have lost purpose. The Surgeon General of the United States came out yesterday and he announced that we have a mental health crisis among young Americans, which, again, if you watch TikTok for any length of time at all, you know is true. You can view my review videos over at YouTube where I go through some of what goes on on TikTok and it is basically just a mental asylum in full public view for the walls. It's a bunch of people who are, who are signifying their real mental disorders and doing so for people to cheer them. The Surgeon General had to put out this 53-page report today talking about how children are in real trouble. According to the Surgeon General, he says, recent national surveys of young people have shown alarming increases in the prevalence of certain mental health challenges. In 2019, one in three high school students and half of all female students reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, an overall increase of 40% from 2009. Since 2009, okay, we're not talking from 30 years ago. We're talking about just over the course of the last 12 years, an increase of 40%. According to the government, of course, this is shaped by social media. It is shaped by drug use. It's shaped by, but, but that doesn't go to any of the real underlying issues that are, that are enervating the society. According to the government, quote, we know that mental health is shaped by many factors from our genes and brain chemistry to our relationships with family and friends, neighborhood conditions, and larger social forces and policies. We also know that too often, young people are bombarded with messages through the media and popular culture that erodes their sense of self-worth telling them they are not good-looking enough, popular enough, smart enough, or rich enough. That comes as progress on legitimate and distressing issues like climate change, income inequality, racial injustice, the opioid epidemic, and gun violence feels too slow. Of course, the U.S. Surgeon General is saying the reason that, that kids are now suicidal is because we haven't done enough on climate change or income inequality or racial justice. Or alternatively, there's a giant gaping hole in the soul of America's young people and in some of its older people that is not going to be filled by your bullcrap excuses for, for motivation on a daily basis. The government is also blaming technology platforms. They say when not deployed responsibly and safely, these tools can pit us against each other, reinforce negative behaviors like bullying and exclusion, and undermine the safe and supportive environments young people need and deserve. All of that was true before COVID-19, dramatically altered young people's experiences at home, at school, and in the community. The pandemic era's unfathomable number of deaths, pervasive sense of fear, economic instability, and forced physical distancing from loved ones, friends, and communities have exacerbated the unprecedented stresses young people already face. Our obligation to act is not just medical, it's moral, says Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General of the United States. 
We're going to go through more of this, this advisory from the Surgeon General on the mental health of young people, because I think it goes to a far deeper culturally, a cultural and civilizational malaise that is now set in and really is cancerous. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let's say that you and your friend, you, know, you, you have a bad marriage and, and it ends badly with like you and your friend killing the guy and you go on the run and eventually the police catch up with you. And you have a choice. You can either be arrested and you can face trial and face down your sins, or you can drive off a cliff with your friend. Well, as you are freeze-framed above the Grand Canyon in the air before your car plummets to the end of its parabolic arc, well, as, as you're sitting there next to Gina Davis, you think to yourself, man, probably should have bought life insurance via Policy Genius first. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Answer a few questions about yourself to get started. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, compare personalized quotes to find your best price. It could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. You can trust them to offer unbiased help and advocate for you at every step until you are covered. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees or sell your information to third parties. They have thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get your free life insurance quote, see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so according to the Surgeon General, the reason that we're having a mental health crisis is because we're not doing all the things that the left wants you to do via the government. And that, of course, is really silly. So first, they try to claim that mental health conditions that have gotten much more grave among America's young people, that that is due to biological factors. Nah. In order to assume that it's due to biological factors, you would have to assume that over the last 12 years, there has been a major change in the biology of human minds, which not a lot of evidence to suggest that. Environmental factors, yes. According to Vivek Murthy, some mental health disorders seem to cluster in families. They're often shaped by multiple genes. Whether an individual develops symptoms can be further modified by experiences and surrounding environment. Environmental factors can range from exposure to alcohol or drugs during pregnancy to birth complications to discrimination and racism to adverse childhood experiences such as abuse, neglect, exposure to community violence, and living in under-resourced or racially segregated neighborhoods. Okay, some of these are well substantiated. The notion that if you suffer from discrimination, that this leads to massive mental health crises, the, the, suicide, the suicidal ideation stats don't really back that up. In fact, it tends to be middle upper class white people who have higher levels of suicidal ideation than, for example, impoverished black people. So if it's really about class issues, then it... That, that, or race issues, that really doesn't explain it. They say that adverse childhood experiences can undermine a child's sense of safety, stability, bonding, and well-being. Moreover, ACEs, again, those are adverse childhood experiences, may lead to the development of toxic stress, which can cause long-lasting change. And of course, the answer to all of this is the government getting involved in everything. So they put together a graphic adopted from the WHO talking about factors that can shape the mental health of young people. And here is what your government says. Social and economic inequalities Discrimination, racism, migration, media and technology, popular culture, and government policies all can exacerbate mental health problems. Neighborhood safety, access to green spaces like parks, healthy food, housing, healthcare pollution, natural disasters, and climate change. This is going to affect your mental health. Climate change is going to affect your mental health. Relationship with peers, teachers, and mentors. Faith, community, school, climate, academic pressure, community support. Relationship with parents. Basically, everything in life can affect your mental health. But what has changed, right? This is the big question. What has changed since 2009 to 2019? According to the Surgeon General report, from 2009 to 2019, the proportion of high school students reporting persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased by 
The share seriously considering attempting suicide increased by 36%. That's a huge number. The share creating a suicide plan increased by 44%. Between 2015 and 2011 and 2015, youth psychiatric visits to emergency departments for depression, anxiety, and behavioral challenges increased by 28%. Between 2007 and 2018, suicide rates among youth aged 10 to 24 in the United States increased by 57%. Early estimates from the National Center for Health Statistics suggest there were more than 6,600 deaths by suicide among the 10 to 24 age group in 2020 alone. Scientists propose various hypotheses to, to explain all of this. They say that it might be more people discussing mental health concerns, but they also are blaming digital media, increasing academic pressure. Uh, I, I'm going to have to hear why increasing academic pressure is causing this, considering that our schools are underperforming and there is less academic pressure to perform in modern America than at any time in recent American history. They talk about income inequality exacerbating this sort of stuff, which is weird because we didn't have this sort of spiking depression and suicide rate during the, you know, Great Depression. They talk about racism and gun violence and climate change as factors. Again, it all comes back to there's a problem in society and it must be our favored solutions that are the actual solutions. Now, if you are going to examine what is wrong with the youths, what exactly is happening with the youth, you would have to go a little bit deeper than this. Right, so they, they talk about some of the things that, that have been exacerbated during the pandemic. They say that if you've lived in an urban area or an area with more severe COVID-19 outbreaks, this has exacerbated mental health problems. If you are worried about COVID-19, if you experience disruptions in routine, which, by the way, would suggest that the lockdowns did much more damage to kids than actual COVID-19. Because the number, again, of people under the age of 18 in the United States who are healthy, who have died of COVID-19 across the entirety of the pandemic is somewhere between 10 and 20, according to Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins University. So when you're talking about why young people are depressed because of COVID, it isn't because they're scared of COVID. Or if they are scared of COVID, it's because the adults are idiots. And the reason is because they've been locked in their homes and told that they cannot see other human beings. Okay, but the, the bigger problem here is that, again, the, the government's suggestions as to why we are seeing mental health problems across young people in the United States are always geared toward what can the government do to fix it? And the problem is that this is not predominantly a governmental issue. This is predominantly a philosophical issue that has now boiled down to how we raise our children or if we even have children at all. Some of the most durable statistics in, in mental well-being show that, for example, religious people tend to be less suicidal. They, they tend to have less suicidal ideation than people who are less religious. There, there's good evidence to suggest that class has very little to do with it. There's good evidence to suggest that rates has very little to do with it. And certainly climate change has very little to do with it. So in a second, I want to get to why I think that, that young people are, are more depressed, more suicidal, what our culture has taught young people, why we have prepared them for a life of misery, why we have set up expectations that simply cannot be fulfilled. And yes, that are exacerbated by the culture that, that surrounds them from social media, but why they are not robust enough to withstand that. I mean, you have to remember that young people, their grandparents, when they were 18, they were jumping off boats at Normandy headed into the face of certain death. And today, young people are suicidal because of Instagram. So we're going to have to decide why we think that is happening to this extent. First, let's talk about the clothing you wear. So the modern workplace is rapidly changing. So is standard work attire. You don't have to wear stuffy, uncomfortable clothes anymore. Let me tell you, my favorite clothes, cut clothing. They've reimagined work clothes by elevating the classic tee to something you can wear on any occasion, from a formal business meeting to a casual night out. Everybody loves cuts clothing. Elite athletes, entrepreneurs, recording artists, they're all wearing what GQ magazine calls the only shirt worth wearing. It really is the only shirt worth wearing. 
Basically, that's all I wear. I took all of my other t-shirts aside from our Daily Wire Let's Go Brandon t-shirts and all of those other ones. They've been given away to the Salvation Army. Cuts clothing is the most comfortable. It's also the best looking. It fits great. It has excellent materials that are really, really soft. The Pika Polo tri-blend tee. I mean, this stuff is really soft. They've got style. It's minimalist design. It's not filled with, with kind of garbage logos or anything. Your schedule is busy. The holidays are busier. Cuts collections of polos, bomber jackets, joggers, and more. It makes it easy to decide what to wear year-round. That's one less thing to worry about. Cuts has your holiday shopping covered with a ton of new products and special site-exclusive offers every day in December. Plus, get 15% off site-wide at cutsclothing.com slash Ben. That's C-U-T-S clothing.com slash Ben to get 15% off. Plus, can't miss daily deals. Go check them out right now. Okay, so what exactly is missing for young people? I think in a nutshell, what is missing for young people is a sense of mission. What are they supposed to do? What are they aiming at? What is their life aimed at? And it can't be that your life is just aimed at quote unquote achievement because achievement is instrumental. Achievement toward what? What exactly is the achievement meant to fulfill? If it's just about making money, that ain't going to do it because you can make a lot of money and you can be very successful. But if you actually have not fulfilled your role in life, that doesn't mean you're not going to be miserable. As I've said before, again, people who are middle to upper income tend to have higher suicidal ideation as teenagers than many people who are impoverished. So the question becomes, what exactly are you aiming at? What is the achievement geared toward? Well, when you remove the idea, particularly from successful young men and women, that there is any purpose to their lives, when you tell them that the purpose of your life is authenticity, you're always going to fall short. So we have sold our kids a bill of goods. The bill of goods that we have sold our kids is that they are completely autonomous spirits resting in biologically constraining bodies. We have told them that authenticity is the only thing that matters. And this is a radical shift in how we bring up our children. Because instead of suggesting to them that there are expectations that you must fulfill, that there are roles that if you successfully fill them will make you happy in life, we have told them that the only thing that you should be concerned about is pleasing yourself. The only thing you should be concerned about is finding your true self and then having the rest of the world adapt to you. And guess what? That's not reality. You are setting up your own kids for failure. And when you set up a fake reality in which everybody online is, is bragging about how they've achieved a level of happiness through a method that really makes it impossible to achieve happiness, and when people inevitably fall short, they aren't happy. So the reason I'm connecting this to government is because I think that one of the reasons that Americans uh, have such a cynical view of the future of the country is because they have been told for more than a century at this point that American government can solve all of their problems. As I have said over and over and over, American government cannot solve 90% of your problems. American government can solve the problem of whether your neighbor is going to try to kill you. American government might be able to solve the problem of how to mobilize in the face of foreign invasion. American government cannot solve your problem of happiness. All the American government can do is protect you from the predations of your neighbors. That's all government really was designed to do. But if you've been promised that the government can solve all your problems and then the government falls short, you're going to be disappointed with whoever is the head of the government, no matter who it is. And the same thing holds true when it comes to bringing up kids. If you teach your kids that the path to enlightenment and happiness is the search within, you're searching in the wrong place, Indy. They're digging in the wrong place. That is not where happiness lies. Now, traditional religious viewpoints as to how to bring up children suggest that there are certain things that are expected of kids. And what is expected of kids is that we are going to civilize you into a, into a role in a community, in a society in which you are expected to not only better yourself as a character and cultivate virtue, but to better the community around you and to become a full-fledged part of that community. 
you know, when, whenever there is a baby born in the Jewish community, there are blessings that are given to the kid. And some of those blessings are that, that they should reach bar mitzvah and they should become, uh, when, when you are bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, then you become an adult. And now that comes with obligation. It's not about the party. It comes with the actual obligations, right? The idea in most traditional religions is that as you age, more responsibility is put on you. And that responsibility gives you a sense of fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And then the idea is that you're going to get married, right? It's, it's, you're going to, you're going to get married. You're going to have kids and you're going to commit good deeds. Right? This is your role in life. And you are designed to fill these particular roles. I've talked about this a little bit for the past couple of weeks, because I think that as a society, we have decided that roles themselves are bad, right? If authenticity is about throwing off the shackles of a society that demands things of you. And if the only thing that can make you happy is fulfillment of traditional roles, and I'm not talking traditional roles like women subservient to men or something. I'm talking about traditional roles like wife or mother for a woman or father and protector for a man. If you throw away those traditional roles, there is nothing that can supplant that. The search for authenticity is going to be ongoing because there's no point at which you quote unquote reach authenticity. It turns out that when you reach authenticity, people may disapprove of your behavior or your authentic choices may redound not to your benefit, but to your detriment. You might be making choices that are inherently damaging to you. It turns out that sometimes you're not the best judge of your own interest. In fact, a huge percentage of the time, you're not the best judge of what it is that is going to make you happy in the absence of any sort of societal guidance. This is particularly true of children who are completely incapable of making good decisions. And yet we have told kids from the time they are very, very young, quote unquote, you can be whatever you want to be. Now, if what you mean by that is if you try really hard in any particular field, then you can have the possibility of success. That's true. But if you mean that you can be a girl if you're a boy or you can act in any way that you want and have it all, none of that is true. And then when we reinforce that perception with a social media milieu that takes that has people taking selfies and bragging about their own levels of happiness and having achieved this chimera of a vision, people are going to be unhappy. You've also destroyed the sense of roles that are necessary in order to promulgate community. Communities require roles. If you interact with other people, you are playing a role. They're playing a role. There's nothing wrong with roles. In just a second, we're going to get to the, the, the issue of roles and why the, the left fights so strongly against them and why it's completely emptying out young people. It really, really is. It's leaving them aimless. It's leaving them spirits without flesh. And that is not something that, that can be rectified quickly or easily. First, let's talk about a great gift you can get for somebody this holiday season. And so we have one of our old sponsors is back. Better than ever. I'm talking, of course, about Vincero Collective. So if you don't know Vincero, they're a small team based out of San Diego. They provide today's most ambitious people with premium watches and lifestyle accessories. They've got eye-catching designs, quality craftsmanship you can feel in hand. Vincero provides incredible pieces sure to become staples of your wardrobe and beyond. Vincero watches, look at this. This is a beautiful Vincero watch. Okay, so I'm a luxury watch guy, but luxury watches are like tens of thousands of dollars. If you are looking for a great Christmas gift that is not going to break the bank, but looks classic and looks spectacular, Vincero watches are the gift. Whether you're shopping for a friend or a loved one, partner or parent, Vincero has a collection and colorway for everyone, making it easy to find a great gift for that special someone. Don't wait till the last minute this year. Head on over to VinceroCollective.com slash Shapiro. Check out our favorite picks. While you're there, take advantage of 15% off on your purchase exclusively for you, our listeners. Here at The Daily Wire, we stand behind Vincero Collective, the products they sell, brand they built, values they stand for. You don't need to take my word for it. With over 30,000 five-star reviews, Vincero offers you a shopping experience you can trust. And you can be at ease with their five-year guarantee and 365-day free return policy. Support our show. Do yourself a favor. Check out Vincero Collective. 
We know you're going to be happy once you do because the pieces look great. Go check them out right now and get 15% off when you use promo code Shapiro. It's a perfect opportunity to get yourself or a loved one a gift they won't forget. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O collective.com forward slash Shapiro. I've gotten Vinceros for like everyone in my family. They're really great. Vincero collective.com forward slash Shapiro. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of, of the roles that you are meant to play over the course of your life. So we are embodied being. This is the place to start. When we talk about human nature, we have to understand that we're not free-floating spirits in the machine. We, we can't just make up our own reality. And biology is not an obstacle. Biology is part of who you are. Right? You are not just a spirit, and you are not just biology. You are both, and they are combined. And what that means is that your biology is not your enemy. Sometimes it's something you have to curb. But it is not, in fact, opposed to you. It's not an obstacle. You don't get to be, quote-unquote, whatever you want to be, regardless of your biology. Right? I'm... 5'9", I'm an Orthodox Jew, I ain't playing in the NBA. I can't be whatever I want to be. I can be what I'm capable of being. But we have decided that that's not true. We have decided because we are so fixated on this idea that all autonomy is sort of in your head, that children ought to be granted autonomy they are not capable of, of having. My children ought to be making decisions about, for example, their own gender when they're five years old, which is totally insane. My son is not even capable of deciding what to eat in the evenings. He's not capable of deciding whether he should go to school. If he had his way, he would never go to school. Okay, but we have told kids that they are to be treated like little adults, which they are not. Instead, there are roles that we play over the course of our life. Some of those roles have to do with aging. When you are young, you're a learner. That means you need people who are shaping and guiding you. People who are giving you a sense of mission. As a citizen in your community, you have to believe in the collective purpose of that community. If you're an American, you have a role as an American. And that role is to uphold the founding principles of the Declaration of Independence and Constitution of the United States. That is your role. That role exists in every nationality in world history. It is only in the modern era that we have created nationless people who believe that they are citizens of the world. There's no such thing as a citizen of the world. Honestly, try paying taxes to the world. You're a citizen of whatever country you reside in. And so either you should become a full-fledged citizen and act like a citizen, or you should move. Okay, what that means is a certain level of loyalty to the core philosophy of the nation to which you belong. You have a role as a parent. That role is not to abdicate the responsibility for bringing up your kids. It's the role of cultivating yourself virtuously so you can bring up your kids properly and inculcate in them certain values. You have a role as a husband or as a wife. Right? And that role as a husband or a wife is to cultivate yourself, become a better, more caring human being. And yes, to be the other half of the person of the opposite sex to whom you're going to commit your life and then produce children within that marriage. Right? These are historically approved roles. And when people look at the wisdom of the past and they scoff at it, and say, well, why can't we just remake the world today? The answer is you're being an idiot. Because wisdom of the past is there for a reason. It has been tried. It is true. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be incremental changes. It doesn't mean that certain conflicts of the past don't crop up and force us to rectify them. This is not a Hegelian notion that everything that was was meant to be. But it is true that if something has lasted the test of time, thousands and thousands of years, there probably is something to it beyond what your pea brain thinks there is. The way that most people are inculcated in a culture is not even that you are sat down and taught that marriage is an inherent good. It's that you watch your parents being married and you realize that it's an inherent good. It's not that you look around and you think, okay, well, freedom is a good thing and I've I've rationalized it out of my brain. As Michael Oakeshott, the philosopher, has suggested, Most politics is not rationalism. Most politics is inculcated in the water and in the air we breathe. I was once sitting with Sam Harris, who, of course, is is a famous atheist. And we were talking about values. 
And I was pointing out that he gets his values from the same place that I do, namely a Judeo-Christian culture in which he was raised. Because he was saying, well, I came up with these values you know, myself and, and I've thought them through. And I'm sure he has thought them through. But the reality is that Sam Harris and I share 80% of values, 90% of values. That's because we grew up like 10 miles from each other in California in a society that was built on several thousand years of common history. That being a part of that stream, being a person who fulfills roles, inside, that, that is a fulfilling thing. It is a good thing. It's a thing you're supposed to be teaching your kids because you cultivate virtue within each of these roles, right? Each of these roles requires you to follow certain rules and also to exercise certain liberties. In order to be a good parent, you have to stick and move. In order to be a child who's properly learning, you have to have the freedom to learn. In order to be somebody who acts as a good American citizen, you have to exercise your freedom to produce, right? You have to, you have to exercise your freedom to be creative. And all of these things are inherent goods, but they don't exist in the absence of roles for which they are designed. They are instrumental goods. In other words, most of the things we think of in, in life as inherent goods are not inherent goods. They're instrumental goods. They're directed toward a higher good, toward a, toward a larger purpose. And when we sort of make the morally relativistic point that no, these are inherent goods, freedom is inherent good, not freedom directed toward a higher purpose, freedom just itself. Well, then you've created no limits for people. And that's not fulfilling. The reason that people ask people, you know, if, if you ever want to see truly what people's lives are about, go read obituaries. Go read obituaries. Because I'll tell you what obituaries never say. This person identified as a person of gender X. This person interacted with their colleagues on Twitter. These are things that don't make the obits. And if you really want the boiled down version, the really boiled down version, go check out gravestones at the cemetery. At the gravestones at the cemetery usually say things like beloved father and husband. A beloved mother. These are the things that, that people want to be remembered as. It's role fulfillment. Okay, now, as a society, we have decided that these roles are not only no longer necessary, they're repressive and bad, and they, are, and they ought to be fought. And we are teaching our kids this. And then we are shocked that our kids are depressed. We are shocked that our kids are, are looking for authenticity in all the, the wrong ways. We are shocked that when, when they go searching for what is me and they come up short, they start dosing themselves into oblivion when we remove them from a communal context in which you are naturally forced to play a role, right? If you've ever been in high school, you know this, right? You play a role in high school, but you play roles throughout your lives. And here's the thing. Even when we pretend that there are not roles to play, you end up playing a role. Okay, but the role you play might be a toxic role. The role you play might be as the court jester. The role you play might be as the example to others of how not to live your life. There are a lot of roles out there. Pick ones that matter. And the ones that matter typically are the ones that have to do with historically tried and true roles that have provided to fulfillment to people across cultures for all of human history. But here in the United States, in our pursuit of this bizarro world, complete autonomy and complete libertinism is the, is the solution to all your ills. Authenticity is what we ought to be searching for. And we will raise our kids to search for authenticity. They, they've lost what makes people authentically human, which is human roles. Human roles make you, make you human. Otherwise, you're just an animal. Otherwise, you're just a really smart animal. Okay, so the reason that I bring all of this up, of course, is because we see indicators of how we've undermined the raising of our children all over our culture. There's an article in the Washington Post today, for example, entitled, A White Teacher Taught White Students About White Privilege. It cost him his job. And the idea is that we should be very much pro our teachers, teaching kids about racial essentialism, teaching kids about the evils of their country, teaching them essentially to be bad Americans. That it is good for teachers to teach kids to, if you, by the way, if you're teaching your kids about racial essentialism, you're teaching your kids to be a bad American. You're teaching them to fundamentally reject 
basic notion, basic notions of Western civilization, about the inherent rights of, of human beings, and about the fact that, that human beings ought not be boiled down to immutable skin color characteristics. But the Washington Post says that they, they want kids to be freed of the role of good American citizen. To even say, by the way, that you should play the role of good American citizen is now considered intolerant. Right? These sorts of words are considered coded, coded dog whistles to say something like good American citizen. According to the Washington Post, Matthew Hahn checked his phone to see if the wait was finally over. It had been five months since he was fired for teaching about white privilege at a high school in rural Tennessee. Two months since he had fought to regain his job at an emotional three-day hearing, becoming a symbol of the acrimonious debate over the way race, racism, and history should be taught in America's schools. Now nothing. No announcements from the school district about his appeal effort. No messages from his lawyer. No text from friends and former colleagues. But sustained him through a lonely half year of jobless limbo. Could he return to teaching in his hometown? Apparently no one knew. Hahn, 43, white and balding, sighed. Marlowe, his German shepherd, started to whine. Hahn grabbed the leash because no matter what, he still had to walk the dog. Shrugging on a gray hoodie against the fall chill, he walked out his front door and down the long, sloped driveway of the house he had grown up in, Marlowe tugging at every step. A lifelong resident of Kingsport, Tennessee, Hahn was well aware his liberal views made him an outlier in his overwhelmingly white, mostly conservative community. But that had never mattered, be never mattered before. He had taught in the Sullivan County school system for 16 years without any trouble. He had taught the class that got him fired contemporary issues for nearly a decade without a single parent complaint. Then at the start of last year, he made a pronouncement during a discussion about police shootings that would derail his career. White privilege, he told his nearly all white class, is a fact. Then he assigned Ta-Nehisi Coates' essay, The First White President Spurring Parent Complaints. In April, a student mentioned white privilege during a class discussion about Derek Chauvin and Hahn could not help himself. He navigated to YouTube and pulled up White Privilege, a scathing, profane, four-minute poetry performance by Kyla Janae Lacey. Oh, am I making you uncomfortable? The black writer demands at one point, try a cramped slave ship. I will probably get fired for showing this, Han joked before hitting play. Less than a month later, he was. And of course, it's very bad, very bad that Han lost his job. Because after all, we have to have teachers indoctrinating kids into the idea that America is inherently bad. All of its institutions shot through with racism and bigotry. Now, again, teaching kids these sorts of ideas when they are 19, 20 is a different thing as, a, as one view among many in college. Even there, I think that there's a serious question as to whether we ought to be sponsoring anti-citizenship sentiments like the idea that racial essentialism is at the root of all of America's institutions. Okay, but certainly when you're teaching kids, high school kids, are you raising kids to have a purpose as Americans when you do this sort of stuff? Serious question. And we're doing this with regard to math too. Article today in USA Today, is math education racist? Debate, debate rages over changes to how U.S. teaches the subject. Instead of teaching kids, to pursue success, we are now teaching kids that if they fail, it must be the system that has failed because true authenticity is to be found within, not in fulfilling standards, not in attempting to achieve as part of a broader goal of becoming a more productive person who is capable of doing better things for family, friends, community, and country. According to, the, according to USA Today, there are recommendations to make math more inclusive. Schools are collapsing math tracks to put kids of all abilities in the same classes, adding data science courses that carry the same prestige as calculus, long seen as a gateway to a center, to, to a career in STEM fields and elite colleges. 
Another heated issue, the extent to which math education should include real-world problems involving racial and social inequities. Fairly or not, that debate has landed, the mur landed in the murky soup of critical race theory digressions. The changes have pitted mathematicians and math educators against each other and sparked criticism from affluent parents upset by the el elimination of gifted tracks. They've caused upheaval in California as parents, professors, and teachers spar over proposed changes to the state's K-12 math framework. The, the attempts to dumb down math education are, of course, about teaching people that America sucks because of inequalities of outcome and about teaching people that they don't actually need to fulfill standards in order to feel, in order to feel better about themselves. But they're not going to feel better about themselves because here's the thing. There is justified self-esteem and there is unjustified self-esteem. And we've been teaching kids about unjustified self-esteem for generations at this point. And it turns out unjustified self-esteem runs directly into the shoals of reality even if the entire society decides to engage in delusions. The same thing holds true when it comes to basic biology. And you want to depress kids? Here's a great message. Boys can be girls. That's a pretty great message for depressing kids. And first of all, people who suffer from gender dysphoria, which is a real diagnosable mental disorder under the DSM-5, have extraordinarily high suicidal ideation rates. Okay, so the, the broader teaching of the lie that men can become women and girls can become boys obviously is not tied to mental health concerns on a broad societal level. We're not talking about the treatment of people with gender dysphoria. We're talking about indoctrinating kids into confusing and stupid and anti-biological ideas that we are now trying to mainstream in the real world to disastrously comic effect. Article from the UK Daily Mail today, Fury as transgender, UPenn swimmer 22, who used to compete as a man, smashes two U.S. women's records in weekend competition and finishes one race 38 seconds ahead of her nearest rival. Leah Thomas, 22, smashed two U.S. swimming records at an Akron, Ohio contest. Thomas won the 1650 freestyle in a record time of 15 minutes, 59 seconds, beating her closest rival, Anna Sophia Kalandazzi, by 38 seconds. 38 seconds. She left rivals floundering in a 500 freestyle, beating them by 14 seconds. Thomas previously competed for the school men's team for three years before joining the women's team. NCAA rules dictate any trans female athlete can take part in women's events if they've completed a year of testosterone suppression treatment. Okay, so um, either men are unbelievably good at becoming women, like amazing. In other words, women can have to be women all their lives, but men within five minutes of becoming women are better at women than at, like nearly every athletic endeavor or they're still men. And we as a society are lying in order to preserve the sense of authenticity of particular people. A question, is that sense of authenticity fulfilling for most people or is reality more fulfilling? Is living in accordance with reality actually a rather fulfilling thing? You know, biblically speaking, when God places man in the Garden of Eden, and the reason I'm using the Bible here is not really for the, the religious commentary, although obviously I believe in the religious aspect of this, but be because the Bible is the most popular book in world history and has some pretty wise things to say. It has stood the test of time. The basic metaphor of God placing man in the Garden of Eden and telling him to cultivate the ground is that the ground exists. Reality exists. You don't get to remake reality in your own image because you, in fact, are not God. You are not a spirit floating above the waters. You are something else entirely. You're an embodied human being and playing your role in life Recognizing reality in life is fulfilling. Take away obligation, take away responsibility to fulfill those roles, and people lose purpose. They just end up in a, in a perfect sense of malaise. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about gifts 
for the holiday season. I'm, I'm going to give you a great gift this holiday season, like a super useful one. Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycons will give you amazing audio quality wherever you go, whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work, or work out. They'd be useful for anyone on your list, even better for you. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands. With their latest model, you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. You got pure mode for blues instrumental. You got balance mode for podcast listening. You got bass mode for hip hop. So like the full Shapiro spectrum, right? You can listen to me play violin on pure mode. You can listen to this podcast on balance mode and you can listen to me rap like Cardi B on bass mode. Raycons are available in five stylish colors so you can pick a perfect one for everyone on your list. With free shipping and returns, giving is easier than ever. The holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last minute shipping scramble, especially because right now my listeners will get a 15% off site-wide with code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash Ben. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash Ben. Use code HOLIDAY today. Get 15% off your entire Raycon order. That is buyraycon.com slash Ben. We're going to get to more on the depression and, and suicide spike that we have seen in the United States. First, last week, Joe Biden announced his winter COVID plan. Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of uh, winter wonderland. He's extending the federal mask mandate for public transport. They're also considering requiring Americans to be fully vaxxed, even in order to fly, like get on a plane. So if you want to visit your family for the holidays, you might need to drive across the country or vax in order to fly. The Biden administration is working overtime to force you to do more. This is why we have filed a lawsuit against Joe Biden's vax mandate for private employers. The government does not get to make these decisions for you, but we need your help. If you haven't signed our petition against Joe Biden's vax mandate, I need you to head on over right now to dailywire.com slash do not comply to add your name. We need to send an overwhelming message to this administration that the American people will not comply. We have a goal of reaching 1 million signatures, which would provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We have over 700,000 signatures so far. We need your help to cross the finish line. So please sign the petition at dailywire.com slash do not comply and then share that petition with all your friends and family. Let's send a message so loud that Brandon cannot ignore us. Also, if you have not picked up a copy of Matt Walsh's book, Johnny the Walrus, you should. In fact, you are obligated to by the diktats of wokeness. Why? Well, not only because his book sold out within the first 24 hours, but because it is now the number one LGBTQ plus IAAYZ backslash colon exclamation point question mark star ampersand bestseller on Amazon. And yes, the book is sold out. Don't worry. You can reserve your copy at Amazon to get your hands on the next batch of shipping out soon. Johnny the Walrus is an exhilarating tale of a young boy pretending he's a walrus which is fun in games until Johnny's mom decides, based on internet searches and yoga classes, that Johnny probably is actually a walrus and that she has to uphold his trans walrus identity. If you know Matt's brain, you will laugh your butt off. It's a really funny book. So head on over to Amazon, reserve your copy of Matt's timely masterpiece, Johnny the Walrus, today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the... the case that I am making, which is that we need to reinstitute social roles, not by law, obviously, but culturally, that we need to re-inculcate in our kids a feeling that they have obligations and responsibilities and that this is what makes us human. There's some pretty good scientific evidence to this. So in the 1960s, there was a scientist named John Calhoun, and he performed a bunch of mouse experiments. There was one particular experiment that became very, very famous. He set up an experiment that was designed to essentially create utopia. Okay, and this, this experiment for mice essentially amounted to, we are going to put a, a bunch of mice in a place where all of their needs are catered to. And they're, they're basically like rich people today. All their needs are catered to. They don't have any obligations. According to ifl-science.com, in this study, 
which was called Universe 25. So he set up all these different experiments with these mice. In this study, Calhoun took four breeding pairs of mice and placed them inside a utopia. The environment was designed to eliminate problems that would lead to mortality in the wild. They could access limitless food via food hoppers, access via tunnels, which would feed up to 25 mice at a time, as well as water bottles just above. Nesting material was provided. The weather was kept at like perfect mouse temperature, which is about 68 degrees Fahrenheit, apparently. The mice were chosen for their health. They were obtained from the NIH breeding colony. Extreme precautions were taken to prevent disease. There were no predators available anywhere in there, obviously. So the mice, normally they spent a lot of time foraging for food, for shelter. Instead, they basically spent all of their time screwing, which is exactly what you'd expect. About every 55 days, the population doubled as the mice filled the most desirable space within the pen, where access to the food tunnels was of ease. When the population hit 620, that's slowing, that slowed to doubling around every 145 days because mouse society began to hit problems. They were overcrowded. The mice split off into groups. And those that could not find a role in the groups found themselves with no place to go. The excess could not go anywhere else because there was nowhere else to go. So they became isolated. According to the paper, quote, males who failed withdrew physically and psychologically. They became very inactive aggregated in large pools near the center of the floor of the universe. From this point on, they no longer initiated interaction with their established associates, nor did their behavior elicit attack by territorial males. Even so, they became characterized by many wounds and much scar tissue as a result of attacks by other withdrawn males. So basically, the, the mouse society striated as soon as all obligation was gone. There were these successful alphas, and then there was everybody else. The withdrawn males would not respond during attacks. They would lie there immobile. Later, they would attack others in the same pattern. The female counterparts of the isolated males withdrew as well. Some mice spent their days preening themselves, shunning mating, never engaging in fighting, basically the Instagram stars of the mouse world. Due to this, they had excellent fur coats and were dubbed, somewhat disconcertingly, the beautiful ones. The breakdown of usual mouse behavior was not limited to the outsiders. The alpha male mice became extremely aggressive, attacking others with no motivation or gain for themselves. They regularly raped both male and female mice. Violent encounters sometimes ended in mouse-on-mouse -mouse cannibalism. Because their every need was being catered for, mothers would abandon their young or merely just forget about them entirely, leaving them to fend for themselves. The mother mice became aggressive toward trespassers to their nests, with males that would normally fill this role banished to other parts of the utopia. The aggression spilled over. Mothers would indeed regularly kill their young. Infant mortality in some territories of the utopia reached 90%. This was all during the first phase of the downfall of the utopia. Then there's the second phase. This is called second death. Whatever young mice survived the attacks grew up around these unnatural mouse behaviors. They never learned usual mice behaviors. Many showed little or no interest in mating, preferring to eat and preen themselves alone. Does any of this sound disconcertingly familiar for our civilization? Like, at all? The population peaked at 2,200, short of the actual 3,000 mouse capacity of the universe, and then came the decline. Many of the mice weren't interested in breeding. They retired to the upper decks of the enclosure. The others formed into violent gangs below, which would regularly attack and cannibalize other groups as well as their own. The low birth rate and high infant mortality combined with the violence, soon the entire colony was extinct. Calhoun called this a behavioral sink, and here's what he concluded, quote, for an animal so simple as a mouse, the most complex behaviors involve the interrelated set of courtship, maternal care, territorial defense, and hierarchical intergroup and, intra and intragroup social organization. When behaviors related to these functions fail to mature, there is no development of social organization, no reproduction. As in the case of my study reported above, all members of the population will age and eventually die. The species will die out. And then he tried to apply this lesson to man. He said, for an animal so complex as man, there's no logical reason why a comparable sequence of events should not also lead to species extinction. If opportunities for role fulfillment fall far short of the demand by those capable of filling roles and having expectancies to do so, 
only violence and disruption of social organization can follow. Kill the roles, kill the animal. And we're doing that as a society, civilization-wide. We restore the rules or the civilization is in serious trouble. I think we all know this down deep. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out our newest podcast, Morning Wire. On today's episode, they discuss more on the U.S.'s diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. That episode is available right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to tune in. Also, as you know, The Daily Wire has launched a film and entertainment division. They have our very first original film, Shut In. It's going to be released in just a few weeks. We're fighting the left, providing an alternative to the woke crap Hollywood puts out. To do this, we're building up our publicity and marketing team. So if you really want to work at Daily Wire, and you are a seasoned publicist with experience working in film or TV, we want to hear from you. Daily Wire is now hiring a director of entertainment publicity. That is correct. It's one of the coolest jobs at this magnificent company. It gets to spearhead the publicity for our series and films. It's a huge opportunity for a publicity professional in the entertainment industry who has dreamed of joining the Daily Wire team. To apply for this position, to view an exhaustive list of current openings with Daily Wire, please visit dailywire.com careers. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire editor-in-chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, Biden and Putin meet amid escalating tensions. The U.S. imposes a diplomatic boycott at the Beijing Olympics. And the Supreme Court abortion case prompts fierce debate. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 